Hi, I'm Sade. And I'm Christian. And this is episode 116 of Shades of Brown. Uh, and this week, we're not talking about Kingdom Hearts 3 DLC. Well, that's actually probably for the best because I'm, I'm still kind of out of it. So it's like probably best <laughs> that I don't talk about Kingdom Hearts because... Uh, I, I mean, like, I, I need to give him a tease, though. And the tease is... Uh, actually, you know what? Based off of your like the what I was messaging you when I was watching all the cutscenes live, um, what what do you what what is like one word you think would be best used to be described how 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 I was feeling about it? Uh, it's completely nonsense. Like nothing about it is is like this is just like this is I, I don't even understand how this franchise exists at, at this point uh, as a thing and how it continues to. There's gonna be another game, but uh, let's not. You know, uh, like the basically the, the 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 tease of Kingdom Hearts 3 DLC is why if Tribes Ascend died, why can't this also die? Right? Like, did did Tribes Ascend die for this to run? <laughs> that's that's an unfortunate. Oh boy, yeah. Rest in oh, rest in peace, Tribes Ascend. But uh, let's let's talk about encryption. Uh, a very exciting topic, actually. Well, it, it is exciting, but not in a in, in a like a tech. We're not going to be talking about encryption in a very technical way, but like we're talking about the latest series of uh, stories about uh, Apple uh, and iPhone encryption and the and the FBI. So so the so the whole like this thing uh, started uh, again. So this thing where the there was a uh, there was a shooting in Pensacola, Florida, uh, right at a naval base, right, uh, and the shooter is dead, right? The shooters, or there was one shooter, uh, I don't remember. Yes, uh, uh, Al Shamrani, uh, the the person, the shooter is dead. So they have two phones, and one of the phones is uh, like damaged because uh, the shooter fired a round into one of the phones, presumably to destroy it. Uh, and so the FBI is asking, quote unquote, I'm going to use the quote unquote here because the quote unquote asking for assistance from the, from Apple to, uh, help them get the data of those phones of like the, the local data that is available on those phones. And also they made it very public when, when the, um, uh, the, the, the first request was sent by the FBI general counsel, right? Like as a letter to, I guess, to the Apple general counsel. And then secondly, uh, the attorney general of the United States, uh, William Barr, uh, made an extremely public, uh, public demand basically of, uh, of Apple to, basically give them a back door and that this is like this is like an act of terrorism that they should be helping with so that's like the that's like the this is happening again so if people are like this sounds familiar this this happened in when was this uh in in 2016 2016 right in 2016 when the fbi was investigating the the uh, another shooting incident by uh uh, in San Bernardino, right in San Bernardino, right, California. Right. Uh, so that was another one. That that was I don't. I think people re- might not remember the exact details, but like the government, rec- like the FBI, requested uh, and Apple vigorously. There was a there was a court case, right, and and then Apple, like the dispute was resolved when the government lawyers dropped the case because they had uh, they did not need the the Apple's help anymore because they. Uh, they paid uh, a certain company 
uh, $1.3 million to crack the phone's encryption. And, and by crack, too, I, th- I think it's important to note like what we mean by crack here, because we're going to go more in depth in it in a minute. But um, by crack, it is literally disable the lockout for trying multiple passcodes and then just good old fashioned guessing passwords, right? Yeah, get, just brute forcing your way through it. So th- that's in, in context of that Apple or the FBI paid 1.3 million for a company to do that for them so they could try, they could get into the phone. Yeah. So they, I presume the company's probably like Celebrate or, uh, like gray key right gray shift or whatever the company's called or hacking group too does hacking group do that as well uh, maybe 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 it was i like the, the the company is undisclosed so we do not know uh but this issue as it stands now is that we are back at this again this is this is happening again and at the same time that this is happening we have uh, uh the exclusive story from Reuters about uh written by uh who's written by written by joseph men about uh that apple dropped plans for encrypting icloud backups after uh fbi complaint which is like you know like I, when i first read this i was like that like why would apple go to the fbi that does not sound like a thing that apple would ever do like there there, there is no reason like it is not illegal to encrypt iCloud backups like there is no legal reason for Apple to uh cons- to consult the FBI about this like there is i mean they could talk to them about it and like i it's extremely unlikely that Apple actually i think talked and i think the sources quoted in this article the uh, the article the the sources that are talking like John Gruber has um did a breakdown of this uh the sources that they're quoting, I think, are the FBI sources, right? The FBI sources are saying that uh, Apple came to them, which is uh, it's very uncharacteristic of Apple to be doing that. I think. Uh, so, 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 what are let's let's describe the the I. The, well, I think firstly, too, we should just take a quick moment. We're not. I don't think we're going to talk about the Jeff Bezos story, but just. To separate them, because I think it's very easy to get them confused, though, right? Like even for people who know a lot about technology, like it's 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 there's so many moving parts here. Um, so the short of it is that Jeff Bezos had his phone compromised by a WhatsApp attack, and yeah, a video supposedly. And, and yeah. granted, an exploit in WhatsApp, a doesn't expose as much information as a full on crack of say the secure enclave would. Um, so with the Jeff Bezos situation, it's more of that. There was like malware there. Uh, we should mention that the phone Jeff Bezos was using is an iPhone 10. Uh, just that detail came out later in a New York Times article uh, that it was an iPhone 10. I thought it was an Android phone, but it is now it is it is uh, it, it is. Yeah, he's in fact using an iPhone, and so essentially WhatsApp. There's an exploit that would allow you to circumvent the sandbox, right? So that's and once you circumvent the sandbox, you could technically start reading um, not everything on the phone. Um, you can you can get into iMessages just because they're already decrypted on device, right? Because assuming the sandbox works, you don't really have to re-encrypt it every time you open the app, right? De-encrypt and re-encrypt the messages. They can just be stored, you know, in a container on the phone that, I, according to everything that was working, you wouldn't be able to access to begin with because the sandbox would block you out. Um, but not everything was visible, right? Because there's still parts of iOS that require... Um, you know, anything revolving face ID, even if you circumvent the sandbox, you can't like still get into that without the face ID authentication. Cause he, 
you need a handshake from the secure enclave, right, in order to gain access to that data. Um, and that's just separate. That's that's a just a, a exploit that was patched in yes, iOS. But it, but it is it is related, like in, to this topic, in it's sort of like a way that we talk about uh, how an iPhone is protected. iPhone has. So like, like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about it from a hardware layer let, and move up, right? Let's, so at, at a hardware layer, there is uh, there is the, what is called the secure enclave, right? This is uh, a tamper-resistant chip on the on the motherboard of, of an iPhone, right? Uh, and it is it is tamper-resistant as it cannot be like you cannot try to use like uh, there are there are like forensic tools to read data of uh, chips and like try to modify them. Uh, the, the, the chip is designed to not be, be basically be unusable in that fashion. Uh, and also that hardware chip is, is used to inc- basically like when you set up your phone for the, like when you set up an iPhone for the first time, um, if it's either face ID or touch ID, uh, or if you just use a passphrase, uh, that, Thing is, that key that is generated is 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 stored on the on the secure enclave. Right? Is that am I correct in that? Like the the key is. Uh, I, I, it's been a while since I've read the the Apple security. So basically, document. Yeah. um, well, so a we're gonna put the Apple security document in the show notes because it is that white paper is a great read. But so to explain this in ways that aren't a hundred percent technically correct, because we're gonna we're gonna be here for like two hours. I'm going to abstract things out, which which might not make it 100% correct so please don't at me with that no I, there's a lot there's a there's entire like this is like there's so much content here that it is like each piece is, could have its own like 30 page white paper on how it works from a design level so essentially what happens you boot up your iphone for the first time it asks you do you want to set up uh, passcode or face id or whatever right you say yes or no you say no secure enclave does doesn't activate and moves on if you have if you say yes your face, your PIN code, your fingerprint. They are read by the face ID, touch ID sensors, right? And then they're hashed, essentially, right? Like, it's a different process from hashing, but theoretically, it's the same thing, right? The data is turned into hashed mathematic values, right? Hashed yeah. A random blob of text. And that is written into Secure Enclave. That is the only part that can be written to Secure Enclave. Everything else is read-only. That bit is the there's a little there's storage for the data of that piece. Obviously, if you reset a phone, you can add new fingerprints, right? That will be will be written to part of Secure Enclave. And when you unlock your phone, right, what your phone basically does is the same thing that happens when you log into a website where it's going to scan your face, scan your fingerprint, and it's going to compare them, right? It's going to say, hey, this is the hash we got. To how does that compare? Secure Enclave will then say you're good that they're, they're, the values are correct and you can access the data. Um, so there's a part, obviously, where you know making sure the fingerprint sensor is reading the data accurately, but that's separate from the secure enclave. And as well, with the secure enclave, um, say you have a passcode, right? You're doing your PIN. It was just for whatever reason, you can't log in with your face or you can't, your fingerprint's dirty or wet or whatever. So you put in your PIN and the secure enclave in recent iPhones has a really fun feature where you can only attempt to log in every 80 milliseconds. This isn't a limitation of hardware speed. This is a predefined value because it limits how many times you can log in in a minute. I believe 80 milliseconds, it should be 12 times in a minute if my math's correct there. So you, only, you can only log in 12 times per minute, which makes which which you might be thinking, well, that's kind of an arbitrary number. But it's not exactly because you're now, you're now... So 
when it comes to brute forcing passwords, right, you're guessing random combinations. And say, for example, you have alphanumeric alpha passwords for pin, right? You can do the math out to figure how much time it would technically take to go ahead and, and, and actually brute force it. But if you have a limitation in place like that, even when it comes to quantum computing, right, this ideally, you know, I've, you know, hey, it might be, there might be a firmware flaw in Secure Enclave. But as far as we know, this, you pick up an iPhone 100 years from now and it has a passcode on it. It will take the same amount of time as it does today to brute force your way into it because of that hardware limitation on there. Even if you have quantum computing, right, where you're guessing passwords simultaneously and not one after another, because of the limits in place, you you are still you still have to, you know, 170 years, how many years it will take for you to brute force into <laughs> that phone. Yeah, and if it is an alphanumeric passcode, it basically is very difficult. Like if it is if it is an alphanumeric passcode instead of a four digit passcode, which I, by the way, I think by default iOS when you set it up now uses a six digit passcode instead of four digit passcode. And it'll I, actually warn you. So I recently set up a phone for a family member. It'll warn you. It'll it'll just straight up say, "Hey, four digit pins are far more insecure. You should really use a six digit one." And you have to confirm twice that you want to use a four digit pin. It will not. It doesn't let you do it by default easily. Yeah. So I would recommend using a six digit pin. And if you are if you want to be uh, even more uh, secure, like you want a stronger passcode, you should use the alphanumeric option, which I do, and I would recommend everybody do as well. Uh, and so th- that's the secure enclave, which you can you can read about it uh, on Apple's website. There's yeah. more it does too, right? Like there's more that secure enclave does. It also, I believe, so, even some of the machine learning stuff. Some of it to be securely, some of the models that are more related, they're all stored there. Uh, the secure enclave boot ROM, right? The dedicated boot ROM in there, uh, which is like an immute, like it's a, co- it's a code base that like cannot be changed, right? It's immutable that like establishes as like the hardware root of trust. And like there's a lot going on. And even too, it's also on Mac OS, right? So when you boot up your Mac, it also, um, well, actually, secure enclave is even more, I would say, does more on the Mac too, right? Because on the Mac, it controls a touch bar, it also controls all of your USB devices, right? So if you, your keyboard and mouse, you plug something into your computer, that goes through from computer secure enclave to the actual Intel-based CPU, right? And Intel system. So there's a whole lot. It does more, but... There is there is a lot, yes. And like the, there is a dedicated uh, AES 256 crypto engine in the uh, secure enclave, which which makes like file encryption extremely efficient, right? It's it's hardware level. Like the the, hard, the encryption is being done by the, the secure enclave, right? Like so... It is it is not slow that your phone when your phone is encrypted, right? Uh, uh, yeah. So like that's the hard that's the hardware component. Um, what else? What are we? What, what else is there? Talk. There's the there's, there's also the software side of it too, right? Where I what iOS by default, right? Or actually, no, you have to enable it, I believe. Or is it by? I I don't know if it's by default on recent releases, but it will erase your um phone after ten. I attempts. think that is optional. That is uh that is not turned on by default, I believe. I because that is, I mean, it is problematic because it is like it doesn't matter who does it. Like if you have a kid and the kid en- enters the wrong passcode ten times, your phone will be wiped. Right. Well, there uh, also is um, Find My is tied a little bit to it, right? Where the hardware hardware activation. So, we'll, um, I believe that's also partly stored on a secure enclave. So, basically, if say for example you stole my phone, right, and then you wiped it on I- iTunes, right, for your Mac, so basically just wipe the device and reflash the OS. When you boot up, the secure enclave will say, "Hey, no, this belongs to someone else." 
and there's going to be a key, I believe, stored on their Apple account on the server, and you have to log in, and those keys have to be verified of each other in order for the um, OS to be actually set up and installed properly. Yeah, which is why Apple has a page uh, on their site, which is like, if you want to sell your iPhone to somebody else, what to do to turn off, like, remove basically the like the the security that you just mentioned, like define my security, right? Like the uh, thing for the, the so just basically restore the iPhone to a completely like it, it's basically a brand new iPhone that nobody has used, basically. Uh, and then as well too, there's um just one last thing I think is pretty cool. So without Find My Works in iOS 13, right? It basically creates like a sneaker net based off all the iPhones, right? Because he uses Bluetooth low energy, all the phones ping each other, and I believe part of the secure enclave creates like a random hash, and that just gets sent through different phones back to Apple servers. So even if your phone A isn't connected to a network, or B, I think even if it's offline for a bit, I think there's um, I think it's also part of the way you know, like if your iPhone's dead and you have your Metro card for like the the train on your phone as an, a wallet pass, you can use it on your phone because it's a power reserve. Wait, what? Really? Wait, 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 hold up, hold up. How how does that work? How would that work? Okay, so it's just an NFC. Yeah, so uh, NFC, it's active, right? So basically that means that um, you can pick one password. You could even, or one pass. You can even pick your credit card. I don't know why you'd want to do that though, but you could pick that to be written to it. And even if your phone's battery's dead, it'll, I think it's like, it's either two to six hours of it after being dead, you can still use that NFC chip and use it to authenticate for buses or whatever, right? Or trains. And I believe there's there's a part of that too that goes with Bluetooth Low Energy that'll still ping it out to different iPhones just so even if the phone's been turned off, you could still try and track your phone if it's been stolen or it's been lost or whatever. Mm-hmm. That I did not know about the about the NFC thing. That's that's interesting. That's clever. I don't think Apple ever probably. I don't know if that was advertised ever. I don't know if that's they, like they that. added it in um thirteen point one I believe because the Apple Watch already does it with the power reserve, right? It's like it's the same system as Power Reserve on the Apple Watch. Oh, oh, I like I didn't know Power Reserve that I didn't I never I like I knew Power Reserve existed, but I know what it actually does. But uh, yeah, so Power think. Reserve basically, right? It a you know keeps your time, tells time for, but also allows for any uh, you could tell you know one NFC pass to be written, you know, even when the watch phone's dead and to be used afterwards. Oh, that that is very useful. Actually, that's a good thing to know. Okay, cool. So. So the, the the part that we sh- like we should like this is like oh, this is a bunch of like so much stuff here and the the topic is the iCloud backup right With the the topic at hand the, the thing in the news right now is is the security of your iCloud backup so now right now as of right now the iCloud backup if if you if you if you use an iPhone with iCloud backup turned on. That backup is stored in Apple on Apple servers, and Apple has the key to it. Right, this is not a new thing. Right, this has been the case since it has existed. Right, there is no way to encrypt the backup that is transfer, like basically encrypt it before you send it. Right, so that Apple does not have the key. It's always the case. Yeah, but if you want a an entirely you know end to end encrypted backup, use a local one or no backup at all. And and local, I mean, is to you know just using it on, like iTunes on a web. yes. Uh, I'm we're gonna be linking to a Verge article which which goes over like if you want a backup that is exclusively local and is not stored by Apple or any other third party, uh, and is encrypted locally so that you if the passcode is lost or destroyed, 
then then there is no way to decrypt it. Uh, Which also means, by the way, right, that like the reason that Apple does this is if someone comes in and forgets their passcode to their phone, but they've been backing up to iCloud, we can they can just wipe it. And, you know, obviously activation lock, but you're logging back into it, the same Apple account, so it's fine. And just download the latest backup. And I'm on the side where I think that's... So I believe Apple should offer, allow people to do an end-to-end encrypted iCloud backup because Google does it with Android. And the Android way is really interesting because it'll actually go to... It'll be sent to the specific Google servers on their farms that have Titan security chips in them. And it uses Titan security chip as as Google's own version of a secure enclave. It exists on Pixel devices and the Pixelbook Go. And essentially, that Titan security chip is what's generating the crypto for that ba- and then backup, and that and it's set up to automatically self destruct that backup if it's not log if it's incorrectly accessed like ten times. So that's encrypted on a hardware level on Google servers. That's fully ended encrypted. So Google does offer that option. I think Apple should as well. But the reason Apple doesn't is just right that if you forget your password, you kind of. For most people, and like importantly here, OPSEC is important. No, we are not Jeff Bezos, right? Like, it, chances are the FBI isn't going to be going at your phone. I mean, if you're well, granted, some of our people with phones and are activists on Mastodon. So fair enough, fair enough. If you're out there fighting ICE and you know you're on that and you're actually protesting out in the streets or you're doing some yes, yeah, that is that is different. So people's uh, threat models are going to be different. So uh, assess your threat models accordingly, right? I, I always say. And but but the threat model that Apple is designing for is for the person who forgets their the basically any Joe random iPhone user who forgets their like for forgets their passcode, right? Um, and I mean that's a common thing cuz passwords are a horrible system. Like it's not this is a super common thing that happens. Like I any time, it's like it, with you, right? Any time if you're a family, if someone calls you for tech support, how many times is it, "Hey, I kind of I can't get back into my shit." Like I can't open this thing, right? It was yeah, uh yeah, my mom my mom forgot her uh passcode or something and my uh my sister had to help her reset it. Like they had to talk to Apple about it. They got Apple on the phone and uh, helped reset it. So yeah, it is it is a thing that happens, and it is a fair. It's probably one of the most common support issues that Apple has to deal with, right? Like it is, I would imagine, one of the like forgotten passwords is one of the most common things. So yeah, from an Apple's UX perspective, it it makes sense. But I think I think at this point, it has come to like I think it would be bad from a PR perspective not to offer. Encrypted, like encrypted iCloud backups, right? Uh, as as an option, like as as an option where you they give you, they tell you exactly what's going to happen, and if you lose the key, uh, the passcode or the passphrase, then you then it is gone. The data is is lost, right? Right. They can do it the same way they do the four pin code, right? Where you have to press okay two times, and it's very it's very verbose about like why you shouldn't be doing that. So like then that's honestly how they likely would implement it. So. It's just, you know, for most people, I, I think our show's a little bit different because there are, I know for a fact, there are like people who do a lot of activist work who actually do listen. And, you know, if you are actively out there fighting ice, like, yeah, actually, I wouldn't even recommend using a cloud backup to begin with, honestly. I would do local backups. I would like only do local backups. Lo- only look, uh, the article is there. Uh, only local backups do not use, I would also not recommend using Touch ID or Face ID uh, because... The legal, uh, like the legal restrictions around in 
basically forcing you to put your, put your thumb on your phone or uh, the uh, law enforcement officer holding up the phone to your face, right? Uh, so you you probably you don't you don't want to use face ID or touch ID. Either. You want to you want to use a uh, alphanumeric passcode. Essentially, it it makes things in- inconvenient, obviously, but like. Or like another use case, right? Like let's say traveling, because this has happened a lot where you go to another country and the government or customs asks you, hey, we need to see your phone. They take it to another room. If you don't have a cloud backup turned on and you have an alphanumeric password, like I don't think there are any hardware bugs for iPhones right now. Like I actually think like you might you might be still good to use the phone if you have an alphanumeric passcode and, and like you just it's given to another government. It goes through. I mean, a, I would still bring a burner phone. If I traveled internationally, I wouldn't bring my main phone. Um, yeah. That's, but that's not always, obviously that's a very, uh, like it is expensive. Obviously. I mean, you have to have an additional cost. You have to buy another phone. It's, uh, like it is problematic. Right. And traveling is, is, uh, is already pro- very expensive and problematic. So it's like, that's an additional cost uh, that you have to think about. I mean, think of, again, think about your threat model, think about where you're going, think about who might be wanting to take a look at your phone, right? Uh, think about think about it holistically, right? Like think about the the compromise between uh security and convenience, right? The security is always about how much inconvenience can you cause the attacker and like how much does it cost the attacker to get at you? And like, how much, how expensive can you make it for them? Right. Uh, like, so that you, like, not everybody is, is Jeff Bezos. Not, not everybody's going to be attacked by nation state actors. Right. Uh, you might just be attacked by uh, a friend who's uh, actually not a friend. Right. Like it's, it's like, and then there are a lot of threat models that we aren't even actually talking about here. And it's like, think about that first before you like, before you, take any sort of like action where you like lock your phone that in a way that is inaccessible to anybody but you, right? The thing about what you are actually protecting against, right? Uh, right. Because like most like um, maybe a hot take for me to say, I know you don't disagree with this, but might be a hot take is honestly out of the box, setting up face ID and touch ID and just using your iPhone and a MacBook as is you are good enough, right? Like that is, Good enough for most people. Yes, I, I I I agree on that on that factor. It's a very limited set of people where if you are, yeah, like a very limited set of people where you cannot use iCloud backups or you cannot because use, if you think of like actual vulnerabilities in people's lives, it's not locally on device, right? Like, no, it's no longer people outside of say like hospitals and bigger institutions, right? Like most people aren't getting hit with like malware on their computers, right? It's mostly nowadays being like identity theft and phishing right like those tend to be the things like websites doing nefarious things are a much bigger attack vector than anything that we've been talking about right yeah exactly like it it's not it's not that it's not most people don't have to worry about the na- a nation state attacking them right uh it's, it's more about they have to worry about a their phone getting stolen right well that's very common right uh your phone getting stolen your phone getting lost your uh Maybe like uh, you clicking an email that happens to look like it's from Amazon to verify your account information. Yeah, or Apple, right? Like an Apple phishing email, right? Like you, stuff like that is is the most common like uh, threat model for most people who use iPhones, right? Uh, so yeah, so that's like that's like the overarching topic is like the threat model is 
we're talking about this topic because it is important to talk about because it, the government is trying to essentially create uh well and i think too it's like it's important because like hey it always requires so much preamble to get into it <laughs> but it, it's it's that this is just confusing and to not talk about it builds more into the confusion right because it, it without without disturbing what the government's saying because it's very easy for even for someone who's technical right because technic- being technical nowadays right like hey maybe you build video games or you build like websites for a living none of that will ever touch crypto all you're doing a like so they're probably a different team at your company that has user authentication and honestly they're probably just importing the node or rust library or python library for bcrypt and that's it right like I don't think they're doing much more than that. They're probably like securing their AWS buckets and that. So what do you what are you saying is that is that security is like a dedicated field where you need expertise to understand the depth of the topic, right? But at the same time, like to make this understandable to the lay lay person, uh, like like we just it just, it took us thirty plus minutes to really actually get into it. Like imagine if this was an in depth look at everything that the secure enclave did and what sort of crypto it does and what uh what what apple does to protect you on the uh, on the hardware side on the software side uh like what sort of tls and ssl stuff that they do what certificate pinning is like there's so much like things like we're not even getting into boot verification or anything like that right like there's so much in this boot verification like there's how, how does apple verify the software update Right, you cannot update. Like for example, like this is a good, good thing to bring up is that you cannot update an iPhone offline, right? Because it has to be verified by Apple. Like the the up uh, the update image has to be first of all, it has to be signed by Apple. You cannot load a non Apple signed image. Uh, second is that it will be- verify the image with Apple that it is on a list of approved. Uh, images and Apple can revoke uh, an image at any given time, right? And that would make so you cannot install that update on your phone because that is enforced by the code. Uh, and and on the Android side too, right? Google has a similar chip in the Pixel books now, the um, Pixel phones, and Samsung has a similar one for Knox. I, I'm not too familiar with how Samsung's works. Um, and there might be, as an aside, some of you might be thinking, right? Like, well, why Android has more malware, so doesn't this chip mean anything? And that's the problem, right? Like, this secure chip actually doesn't really relate to the user land exploits in Android. So, a, a Pixel chip. So, if we t- if we take a Pixel device and an iPhone, and they're not connected to the internet, and you're trying to brute force your way into it, they are just as secure as each other. Yeah, they are just. The problem with Android is once it gets hooked up to the network, there's a it's a lot more of a leaky user land than it is than an iPhone is. And at the end of the day, these are networked devices that talk to servers all over the world at any given time without really any visibility to what it's talking to. Like the the recent thing about uh, marketers being pissed off because they can't get enough location data because Apple changed how location data is being location permissions are being given to apps right they like you cannot all like if you give a permission like it has to be like uh you have to specifically choose always at all uh always send the location and then out the ios will prompt you every once in a while that hey this app is sending uh location data at, at this times and at this location and it shows a map too of all the various places 
that it's grabbed your location data from, which is a genius UI design, by the way. Because it's straight up, it's like, hey, this app has been getting your location for the past week. Here are the 10 places it recorded and sent to its servers. Are you, do you want this to keep on happening? Yes. So it has to be explicit content, explicit consent, consent and, uh, and and what 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 people who sell location data have noticed is that they have been getting a lot less fine grained location data, which is the kind of data that this sends, uh, which is good. By the way, I like I I'm, I'm this is like good good because it's like there's a whole industry of uh, companies that uh, sell you like sell fine grained location data to uh, retailers to marketers, right? Uh, that that is a thing to police to police yes to 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 law enforcement uh so you know uh, i'm not i'm not crying over that like i'm not the, they they can cry all they want uh so that's 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 another thing so this- but that it's just another thing right it's such a world away from the secure enclave stuff and the fbi is basically saying hey we need to build a back door into all this shit and it's like what shit like what 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 are you building a back door into because a y- you you would have to pass legislation to ban secure enclave like devices from being put into um, consumer devices, and at that point, you are now you're basically saying that every device sold to Americans or North America will be less secure than the counterparts in every other part of the world. You can't outlaw it because it's already there, right? Like devices in China ship with these secure enclave style ones. Devices in Europe ship with these. So if you were to outright ban these kind of hardware encryption chips, you're now putting an entire population at a at a risk versus the rest of the world and that probably will be And it's this is the thing, you can't have a backdoor. The backdoor doesn't care who it is used by, right? Like the backdoor is not like, hey, this is this is a this is a law this is an American law enforcement official, so you're good. But if this is like a Chinese law enforcement official, you're not good. Like that's not how backdoors work. Like the backdoor, it does not discriminate. Yeah, because basically, if a if a Chinese official once again, like they probably won't, but you know, because this is America and we like the fear monger. If a Chinese official was to get your phone and there is government OS that disabled brute forcing, and mind you, once again, all it would literally could do at a technical level is disable the tamper preventing for brute forcing, right? Disable any of those checks, and you're still waiting 80, 80 milliseconds to put an East password. So let's say that is made, and you know, Apple does that they're still not getting into the phone, right? Like, they're still not getting into it regardless of which government it is. So it's sort of inefficient and not effective to build a backdoor because the hardware prevents it from happening and you can't really outlay the hardware because you're putting people at risk. So the I think, I think the problem is, A, a huge lack of public knowledge on this. But outside of it, it's sort of that they, we have... We, we, a, what I'm only speaking for Western societies and mostly the US, Canada, North America, right? We have such lax policies on how data is handled that it has been a necessity for these kinds of measures to be put in place, right? Because if, if we lived in a world where, you know, fishing wasn't a thing because there were laws in, in place to prevent people from fishing and stealing personal information and to prevent data collection, maybe we wouldn't really need you know, to have such hard encryption. If there were laws preventing saying, hey, every time a government needed to access your data, um, and mind you, Google, everything in, in Google servers is also served, you know, encrypted in transit, but on the server, they hold the keys for it, right? Like, if government wants your Google account, you get their emails are being sent to the feds. But if we lived in a society where, say, baby, you know, you actually had to notify people when there was a gag order against their... Uh, 
digital accounts, maybe we wouldn't need that because then you could fight it in court before they even got the information, right? But as of right now, we live in a world where, hey, if there's data and it's publicly accessible, anyone can grab it if they try hard enough. And because of that, Apple and Google, to an extent, have to put in, you know, placeholders or pieces, you know, they have to put protections on these devices to protect their users. Because even on Microsoft's side, right? Like, it's not even the government sometimes. You remember the employee who got fired for... Or no, Microsoft sued a leaker by going through their personal Hotmail account. Yep. 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 And, like, also... also, And it's it's also another thing is that these devices are being used by government personnel. That includes U.S. government personnel who use... Who rely on the security of these devices to transmit uh, and communicate, like, possibly... Probably, almost definitely classified information, right? Like iPhones being used, transmit, and like, I- like imagine, imagine the shit on Donald Trump's iPhone, right? <laughs> like, like on God, on God, imagine the <laughs> amount of shit that is a I, his iCloud password, his iCloud notes, Apple notes are definitely not password protected, right? Oh shit, oh, that he yeah. probably has a password on that phone, and imagine if it didn't have secure enclave on it. Imagine what the amount of horrible things that could be done with that phone if someone was able to get their hands on it. Yeah, yeah. The and encryption protects uh, the encryption protects everybody, and that's the thing that the government is bad about, right? It, it protects criminals as well as it do, it protects people who who just want to be private. Uh, it's like it it does not discriminate between who it protects, uh, and that's the thing that the government is bad about, as usual. Uh, so and and as well, like. For most policing work, you can use metadata. I think we talked about this when Facebook was planning on making message render encrypted. Guess what? If me and Static are talking to each other and they can't read the content of our messages, okay, what IP address is Static connecting to? What IP address am I connecting to? How long of a voice call did we have? How long was our chat session? How often do we talk? How often do we talk to people who talk to each other who also talk to us? What is our social network? What can you gather from that metadata? More importantly, what was Sadik's location? What was my location? Guess what? You can infer pretty damn well what we were talking about without the reading the messages. But you know, like this is the thing: like law enforcement is obviously gonna choose like people by nature choose the easiest path, and the easiest path for them they want they want is like uh, an iPhone that is not encrypted, so that they can they can uh, easily get the data on it, so they don't have to actually do. Uh, metadata crawling and like they don't have to actually put in a bunch of warrants at, uh, at a bunch of companies and like actually sift through the data that the warrants give them and then try to figure out what's what's the pattern what's the uh, what's the uh what is this guy what is this person doing like how is it connected to what, what this person is talking to like they don't want to actually do the investigative work they just want these uh these companies to give them the uh the, the all the data uh, all, all the stuff on on a silver platter and i mean like i i i get these some of the arguments against it because they then they right hey i have a government having a bunch of end-to-end encrypted devices that guess what if you have what, what if we did a freedom information request on someone's like personal information all we got back was an encrypted icloud bundle because that's all they had right like that's that also harms us like you know as much as People being private also means the government can be private, which is not a net benefit. Like, for example, right? Like, people always dunk on Florida for like Florida man stuff. It's just because all mugshots and all legal records are public information, right? Like, as much as I hate to say it on this podcast, you can find where I live, piece of my voter records. That's public. That's, but like, 
what's the other side right of it that hey you that people are being arrested and we we don't know why they're getting arrested and who's getting arrested because it's a black box which some places are like that right court records are not public you can't go online and see like the latest like arrests in that and it le- and that kind of transparency is needed right and and that's the flip side of this we're like an encryption hey if the government just happens to put tight security chips and all of like the library congress servers and they start putting classified documents there and then we freedom information requested to get it back and all we get back is an encrypted bundle that you can't ever you know brute force in your lifetime then that also harms the public good yeah, the government like the, the transparency is like we need we need the government to be transparent, but not everybody who like the citizens don't need to be transparent, right? That's that's sort of like the angle here. But like it is, this topic is not new by any chance, by, by any imagination. The topic of encryption being this is an old fight. People who have been around in the the people who have been around a while know when. Uh, when PGP was first uh, became first became a thing, that was also another thing that the government was very mad about. Uh, and like there were ex- export laws, right? Did, did you know what export laws are like? The, uh, the U.S. government like banning banning it from exporting it, right? Yeah, exporting strong ciphers. Like this was a thing that used to happen. Uh, this is from way back. I don't know details, but this was a thing that used to happen. So the fight against like the fight to essentially have crypto be usable and accessible by everyone uh is is not a new one and they'll continue to be uh like governments will continue to like do this basically the fbi doesn't matter if it's the fbi uh or uh, any other law enforcement agency from any other country uh they all want this the same shit uh so yeah, like this is this is the topic. Like this is a very complicated topic and there is a lot of factors and I, I would encourage if you have an iPhone to read what the iPhone does, like the Apple website does a, a decent job of explaining uh, this topic without going into like very technical detail, right? Uh, there's a security white paper which goes, I believe, into more technical detail than the the website. It's like a PDF. Well, I I think my favorite Apple security white paper is the one that um goes over how the I was about to say it how the blah Siri wake word works. Yeah. <laughs> which blah should be replaced with hey, but I can't say those words together because the computers are listening. But um, like the amount of black magic and like local like processing that happens just to make that work is wild and and granted obviously you know google has similar stuff it's and like like we said we were only really focusing on apple here just because it's the one that's in the news um microsoft has a similar system with your windows devices by the way um i mean bitlocker is a mess so (laughs) talk to any talk to any windows sysadmin and they'll be like maybe sometimes your stuff's encrypted with bitlocker maybe sometimes it's not even though it says bitlocker's on who knows but in an ideal world bitlocker and windows hello should be doing the same thing um is it though sometimes maybe maybe it is but ideally right windows is a similar system um i mean hell you remember the whole mess with ui uefi uh verified boot i think that's still the thing microsoft has to sign boot keys for devices (sighs) computers why like this is crypto is is a whole oh boy so that's like do you want to talk about it do you want to talk about a little something lighter i feel like before we end the podcast, like I think we have like ten minutes or so before we we should wrap up. Uh, let's let's talk about like a lighter topic because I feel like talking about the Apple uh, 
iCloud and the government is is, is depressing in many different ways. Uh, let's talk about YouTube gaming uh, because um, Activision, like uh, YouTube gaming, signed a deal with uh, with Activision Blizzard to to gain uh, exclusive streaming rights to uh, Overwatch League, Call of Duty League, and Hearthstone esports. Uh, I believe uh, World of Warcraft Mythic uh, streaming as well. Uh, so this is a big deal uh, because it it just puts YouTube on the map as uh, as and, and just in context to show how big a move it was. What happens to existing Overwatch League past subscribers on Twitch? Is that for each season, or does that move over to YouTube? Right? They, it, it is. It is. It is not a. Cons- it's, it's a one time pass. Per season, so all that happens is you have those stuff that's there already. Like I, I don't imagine the emotes and the stuff that you got there will go away, but nothing new will happen on uh, on on Twitch. Uh, no more, no more all access pass on Twitch for 2020. Uh, so uh, enjoy the emotes that for the, so people who have those uh, enjoy those, I guess, <laughs> because you're not getting any more. Uh, and so now Overwatch League will be streaming on 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 YouTube, uh, and I am. This is uh, extremely weird because I don't I don't know like how well it's gonna work. Like I'm I'm looking forward to like seeing what the video quality is and like this uh, the streaming quality and like uh, how they handle uh, maybe additional features like uh, like the all access pass. Uh, last year provided a feature called Command Center. Which allow you to see multiple perspectives from different players, uh, which was part of the uh, All Access Pass. So you could like switch to another player's POV uh, and watch that instead of the main main mainstream. I imagine as a part of the deal, Google probably is, like going to have those features built out for them. Right? Yeah, yeah, I would imagine. I don't think I, I don't think they're getting the same YouTube gaming experience that everyone else is getting. No, I would imagine not. There's probably some stuff going on. Well, actually, I can open up a Call of Duty stream right now because Call of Duty is already streaming on YouTube for it. So let me uh, give me a second. I'm gonna open up Call of Duty League and just see if it's any different. Call of Duty League. <laughs> I mean, I never will watch Call of Duty League, but um, <laughs> for the for the podcast, you gotta you gotta take a look. For the podcast, I'm watching it. Um, I love the chat right now. This is the worst production of the history of any esport event. Oh my god! Uh, don't I never read the chat. This is rule number one of watching. Um, oh my god! Hold on a second. You know what you do? You know what emoji YouTube uses? It uses blob emoji for YouTube gaming chat. You mean the Android blobs? Like yeah, the, the good blobs. Wait, ha- seriously? Yeah, the emoji are built off the blobs. Oh my god! Yes, this this is this is good. So uh, actually, is... yeah, actually, this is. Uh... <laughs> How is the video quality looking? Like the yeah, if you if you if you, if you right click and uh, like see the bit oh, rate for nerds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me open that up. Okay, so what I'm getting is 1080p 60. Um, using ABC one for the audio codec, um, bitrate it looks like it is fifth one thousand one point five megabits per second. That sounds low. That sounds very low. To be honest, is this the live stream? Is it? Well, it's well. I'm, so I'm saying connection stream, and I'm getting fifteen seven nine six kbps. Okay, so that's fifteen megabits. Uh, fifteen megabits. Okay, so that's 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 better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because one point five megabits would be very, very like that. That would oh, be, be one hundred and fifty k bits, right? Or a thousand fifty? Yes, a thousand five hundred, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, the latency is less than it looks like seven milliseconds. 
I'm looking at it, live latency says about seven point four. I'm at- I would uh, uh, uh with with uh esports streams like Call of Duty or Overwatch, there is uh, an artificial delay added by the streamer. So the the latency there doesn't mean like oh, it doesn't it matter, right? Because it's just stream latency from the server. Yeah, it's just a stream latency from from wherever the stream is running to YouTube servers, not the like not where the game is, right? Like the game because they don't obviously want people like stream sniping basically and like you know whatever like so it's like there is a delay artificially added by the broadcaster so also too if honestly if they're using the same tech they're using for youtube stream they think for google stadia i don't think no i i I, i'm actually i'm i i don't think it's going to be a bigger problem uh the the thing i'm like like this is this is very very strange because twitch has been the place for overwatch league for two years uh i think the thing is though twitch is twitch is kind of like I don't think it's stagnating. I just don't think they're fighting back against any of this. Like they, I, Microsoft is, is giving people millions of dollars to come stream on Mixer, and 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 I think we were talking about before the show, which where it's like these people who are. Um, I'm sorry, I'm using this word. The influencers on Mixer, right, who are paid to come over from Twitch are a rare example where everyone's always like, I need reach, I need followers, I need them numbers, I need, I need sponsorships, and people are like, you know what, I have a lower audience, but honestly, like. I'm getting more engagement on my shows. I'm getting better engagement, so I don't care. And I also have that sweet Microsoft check. And and I think I think streaming's one of those places where having a stream with millions of people just becomes a hell, like a nightmare to to, to deal yeah, it's, with. It's not. It's you at some point. It's like quality over quantity, right? Like yes, yeah, so, so streaming is the one place where like quality matters more so than quantity. Whereas Facebook and Twitter, the people with the most followers tend to do the best, right? Algorithm ranking, all of that. But on YouTube gaming, it could be different, and that it, 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 the fact that gaming is this one sphere that that it acts, it sort of subverts the regular trend of content making online. It sort of makes me hopeful that this might show that YouTube itself could do with a competitor that's going to be successful, right? If you just give it a better quality of experience and engagement, yeah. And people have always complained that the Overwatch League on stream on Twitch has always been a, a lower bit rate than is than it should be because for I guess they want to they want the stream to be like not be too demanding on on people's uh, internet connections, so they they lower the bit rate, which actually for Overwatch is a big problem because Overwatch is a game where uh, a lot of blocky colors, right? So it's, is it easy to see the compression artifacts? A lot of colors moving very fast, but yeah, and like especially on a from first person POV, is very sometimes it gets very blocky uh, because of the encoding and like it is you can get get a, get a messy sometimes you don't even can't even really see what's going on because the encode the, the quality of the encode is like you losing some of the detail in there and it's like yeah that's why that's honestly i think like i'm saying with the the reason that makes me hopeful for overwatch league on youtube is just because of how much stadia i've been playing and like if that's real-time gaming where hey it's like latency matters and so we need to optimize a lot of points and like the game loads fine like i have um, tease for people who want to follow my new blog, but I'm currently working on like a deep dive into um, sort of comparing different streaming codecs you can get through Stadia and what the latency looks like. But so, for example, right, just just looking at it because I I don't imagine that YouTube that Google rolled their own separate infra infrastructure for streaming games. I feel like it's the same one likely for YouTube. Yeah, yeah, it's probably so. If we're doing like a VP9 stream, right, on Stadia, the latency from the server to my house is 24 milliseconds. H264 also 24 milliseconds. And on top of that, um, VP or H two six four gives you a lot more less drop frames than that, and it tends to use looks like about um, the bit rate for let's actually do VP nine because I imagine YouTube does more VP nine on Chrome. So I get about 
1.7 megabits per second with about and this is a full 1080p 60 stream with about so it's like seven gigs per hour basically that it ends up using with isn't that bad for for the quality you get like there's going to be photos in it i've sent you screenshots before right what you could tell in black areas that there's some compression but but i feel like especially before an esports stream right if you increase the latency where you can bump the bit rate up that streaming tech seems like it's going to scale very well if you if you add latency and allow the stream to actually you know pr- render out a bit more and increase the bit rate because it doesn't have to be exactly real time and i would imagine uh you uh, youtube's uh well google's uh cdn infrastructure is better than whatever twitch has right now uh by, by that slide uh which which is which is important for people who in regions where twitch is not as well connected from an internet perspective from a network perspective southeast asia right yes southeast asia or uh uh like uh, african regions like it is uh google is way better connected in all over the world than probably even like australia right i know like australia has been like a problematic place for games yeah i imagine uh, maybe amazon probably has an aws data center yeah they do i think in sydney uh everybody's in sydney uh and uh and and the thing is also there's part of this deal also means that Blizzard games will be hosted on Google Cloud, which is uh which is interesting actually to me more than the YouTube gaming part because that how does that change latency? Because for I mean, right now I get like twenty-eight milliseconds to the to the Overwatch servers. Uh and like does that change if uh if if it's if it's hosted in Google Google Cloud? Uh what I want to know too, on top of this, is like, do we get a full commitment from Blizzard for Stadia? Like, do we actually get like, like, do we get like World of Warcraft and Overwatch coming to it? Because you can do keyboard and mouse games with it. That mm, 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 maybe mm. I wouldn't count it out, but at the same time, it feels unlikely to me that it's going to happen. I, I maybe Hearthstone will come to Stadia. Maybe that's like less um, sort of competitive games because, like, even though while like I'm, I'm basically spoiling my whole blog post here, but basically while like Destiny's fine for PVE, like, oof, Crucible's not a not a great time. <laughs> I mean, Hearthstone probably will be fine on Stadia, or like I can't imagine like Overwatch is particular. Uh, the Diablo game on Stadia could work, you know. Uh, Starcraft too. Star- well. Maybe Starcraft. Starcraft is Heroes very- of the Storms, like or. MOBAs Heroes aren't really Storm. Like, yeah, maybe I feel like the, MOBAs have some built-in latency anyways because of character animations. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh I mean I wouldn't rule that out. Like I wouldn't rule it, but I think right now the deal is just like like streaming rights and like, like Google Google Cloud usage. Like there might be Stadia involvement in the future, but I, I don't think it's like I think it's only piece of like the game sharing stuff, right? That Google's been saying they yes, want to do with Stadia yeah. that they haven't done at all. Yeah, uh, but I, I would imagine that's something Google would be interested in doing. Uh, they they do want. I hope they, they like they, they probably try to get Stadia to succeed, and then that would help them. Uh, and this deal really benefits Google more than it does Activision Blizzard, right? Because it is uh, like it's not like Overwatch League moving to youtube is is as big of a deal for activision blizzard as it is a big deal for youtube right because before this like who cared about youtube gaming really like really who cared like nobody nobody gave a fuck uh the the major players were twitch and mixer right twitch was the big player uh and then mixer mixer is starting to gain some momentum because of the streamers that they have been signing um like YouTube gaming wasn't even in wasn't even in the contest, right? And right now, with this one deal, 
they are in the contest in, in a big way. And that, that is big for, uh, big, big for Google, uh, at YouTube than it is, uh, than it is for Activision Blizzard. So, so the deal is more, it's favored, favoring Google over here. Uh, so that is, that's an interesting. I wonder how long too until Microsoft hits back and does a similar deal for like, hell, maybe even like Destiny, right? Or something like that, where it's sort of like the Azure X Cloud mixer sort of combo, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Give the, give them the streaming rights. Give them the Azure Cloud for, for there's, a fair enough, there's a fair amount of games that run on Azure. Like Microsoft has a whole set of like game, you know, server libraries and stuff for, for Azure. And, 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 uh, yeah, probably specific game server related, uh, like virtual machines or like server related infrastructure that you can spin up on Azure, probably uh, definitely a lucrative market for them. Like from a cloud perspective, game servers are very lucrative because uh, they're, 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 they're like big companies, like AAA studios run a lot of them and they are the like a stable source of income because they run for a fairly long time. So, you know, it's like a recurring income. Uh, so it's lucrative for Google Cloud as well here, like to have this. Uh, sort of uh, commitment to use Google Cloud as the uh, cloud provider for for Blizzard games. Let's let's wrap this up. We are running out. We're running. Let's let wrap this up. Uh, as always, uh, you can find me on uh, on. You can find me on my website uh, sonicsafe.com. All the links are there. Uh, Christian, where do people find you on the internet? Um, you could find me at chosefind.website and plug here. Uh, got got a new project, Starfighter Club. So you got starfighter.club and then you also have the podcast that goes along with it, show.starfighter.club. So check that out. Um, definitely subscribe to it. It should be in your podcast app soon. Yeah, it's, it's, it's soon. It's coming soon. Uh, and as always, the show notes for this podcast is on twoshadesofbrown.com uh, and the contact address, obviously, as always, contact at twoshadesofbrown.com. Don't spam, send spam, etc. Spam filtering is, uh, it's, it's working. Uh, so, goodbye. Bye.